Hello and welcome to the Hyota Health Show. My guest for this episode is Dr. Jason Slagle. He's a structural chiropractor from South Florida who specializes in a technique known as NUCA. I did not know what NUCA was before I recorded this interview, I gotta be honest with you. And through this, you probably don't either, since Dr. Slagle is one of only 250 NUCA doctors in the entire world. It's actually quite interesting, and as you'll hear during this interview, Dr. Slagle has all the same training as a traditional chiropractor, but then went on to complete additional training, specifically NUCA, where he's also now board certified. This was a very interesting conversation filled with tons of actionable advice that you will be sure to benefit from. But before we go on to today's episode, let me remind you about our new Vault of Goodies. Our Vault of Goodies is a free directory where you can log in at any time and see each episode in audio and video format, all of it in its original, often much longer version. You can even download the actual audio and MP3 format as well as the entire transcript and you get lifetime access to whatever goodies we have for each episode there. To sign up, just head on over to dre.show forward slash goodies or just find the link in this episode's description. But I don't want to keep you any longer. Here's my conversation with Dr. Jason Slagle. And remember, you are on the highway to health and I'm your guide to get you there. Are you ready to live ageless? Want to discover alternative health choices? cutting-edge nutrition, and fitness for the entire family. Welcome to Highway to Health Show with your host, Dr. E, the stem cell guy, where Dr. E helps you live ageless. And now, here's your host, Dr. E. Welcome to this episode of the Highway to Health Show. Joining us today is Dr. Jason Slagle. He's a structural chiropractor who specializes in a technique known as NUCCA, NUCA. Is that how you say it? Yep, NUCA. There you go. I'm sure he'll tell us a lot more about NUCA in this episode, but you should know that this specialty is quite unique. In fact, there's only 250 NUCA doctors worldwide. And this is on top of his traditional chiropractic training, which even includes pediatric care. And this is in fact something I'm very interested in hearing more about since we tend to believe that children don't need to go to the chiropractor for some reason. But before we dig into that misconception and other surrounding health, why don't you, Jason, say hi to our listeners and share a bit more about your background and what got you into chiropractic? Yeah, absolutely. Well, hey, thanks for having me first off. It's great to be here. I'm excited. So I first went to a chiropractor when I was in high school. And I played football and baseball. And so it was a traditional chiropractor that just does the twisting, cracking, popping stuff. And I was like, you know, I could do this. So I decided to go to chiropractic school, not really knowing much more about it. And I had a couple questions when I went to chiropractic school, like, how does this twisting, cracking, popping actually increase stability long term? And that didn't make sense to me. So I was like, I probably need to find something else to do. So then I started looking into different techniques that could provide more stability. And that's how I found NUCA. It's actually kind of a funny story. My buddy and I were studying NUCA together in school. And while we were doing the chiropractic curriculum, we were also studying NUCA at the same time. And he woke up one morning and his jaw was tingly and he couldn't feel his fingers and he was having problems breathing. So we're like, hey, instead of taking him to the emergency room, let's take him to a NUCA doctor and see what they say. So we took him to this lady who ended up being my mentor. She measured him and he had a pretty big, what we call structural shift. And we can go over that later, but she took some x-rays, measured everything, corrected it. And about 20 minutes after the correction, feeling came back in his jaw, feeling came back in his fingers and he was able to breathe again. And we were like, oh man, this is pretty powerful stuff. 
we got to do this. So now he's practicing in Wisconsin and now I'm in Southern Florida. So that was kind of fun to see that, you know, it probably irresponsible to not take him to the emergency room, but you know, it is what it is. Well, I'm guessing he wasn't completely out of breath. So it was still a good first stop, right? Yeah. He was a little bit miserable, but you know, I was willing to sacrifice his health, you know, for the cause, you know, to try it out. So <laughs> good, good, good thing he volunteered on that. So while we're in the topic of chiropractic care, can you share with our audience what makes structural chiropractic different from traditional chiropractor? Yeah. So a traditional chiropractor, what most people think of is the twisting, cracking, popping stuff. And their goal is mobility, right? So they find a joint that's not moving well and they get it to move better, which is good. But when we're looking at structural chiropractic, what we're looking at is a shift out of normal position. So the term alignment with a traditional chiropractor is thrown around a lot. Like you go to the chiropractor, get an alignment. And that's kind of a misnomer because they're not actually aligning, they're mobilizing. So the joints all stay in the same position as they were before, but they're just moving more in that position, whether it's the right or wrong position, doesn't matter. What we're looking at in structural chiropractic is actually changing the positioning of the spine back to a normal position where it's then able to move correctly as well. Okay. So it's kind of like if your car tires are out of alignment, then the goal is to not get them to move more. The goal is to get them to back into the correct position. And then all the motion issues resolve. Okay. So what we look at specifically with structural chiropractic and in NUCA specifically is we look at the head and neck. If there's some kind of trauma that shifts the head and neck out of position, it can put pressure on the brainstem. And the brainstem controls all the automatic functions in the body, including muscle tone side to side, left and right in the body. So if somebody has pressure on one side of the brainstem, one side of the body starts to squeeze down like an accordion to that side. So what I do is when I assess somebody, when they come into the office for an exam, I measure their whole posture pattern. So I look at their leg length, their hips, their shoulders, their head and neck. And then that tells me if they're locked into this pattern where they're squeezed down to one side. And if they are squeezed down to one side, that's when we take the x-rays of the head and neck from the front side and top. So we can see the head and neck from all three dimensions and measure that down to a hundredth of a degree. So it's extremely precise. And based off those measurements of the head and neck on the x-rays, we can calculate the exact angle to shift the head and neck back into the correct position and take the pressure off the brainstem. And then after that first correction, we see the whole posture pattern straighten back up again. Then after that, it's just a matter of monitoring it, making sure it stays in position. And as long as it stays in that position, then they're good to go. Now, that's interesting because the question I have is, obviously, when you have a mechanical external factor, let's say a car crash or you know multiple traumas, anything like that, that makes sense. But other than that, how do people actually get into these different misalignments, if that's even the correct word? Yeah, that's another word. I like the term structural shift as opposed to misalignment is just kind of like overused in a lot of different ways. So I like shift, but some of the more common ways that it happens, you nailed it. Car crashes are a common one because that whiplash damage damages ligaments specifically and ligaments are what holds the head and neck together. So when you damage ligaments, it shifts out of place, right? Same thing can happen with birth trauma. So almost every C-section birth, they pull the baby out by the head and that's enough to damage ligaments. Okay, so many C-section babies that are having nursing problems or are colicky, especially, they're uncomfortable, right? They can't get comfortable. They're in pain, just laying there. So when I see babies that have had birth trauma, like a C-section or like forceps, or if the mom had a version where they had to turn the baby in utero or something like that, a lot of those types of things are enough to shift the head and neck out of place. 
So then it's just a matter of taking a couple x-rays and fixing it. Wow. And everyone would have assumed that being a baby, they're like super flexible, right? And Right. And they are. And they are. But there's still a threshold that can be crossed as far as how much tension you can put on a ligament before it's damaged. I see. Now, let's go deeper into some of these misconceptions. You and I were talking about this earlier on. You mentioned that patients who come to your practice often mistake or confuse, for instance, genotypes and phenotypes when talking about things like migraines or back pain. Could you first share with our listeners what a phenotype is and how is it different from a genotype? Mm -hmm. I get a lot of misconceptions in my office and I hear certain things over and over and over to where I've kind of had to develop an explanation for it, right? So we can start with genotype versus phenotype, which most people are unfamiliar with those things. It's a pretty simple concept. Genotype is just your genetic code. Okay, so you think of DNA, that's genotype, right? So like if the genetic code is GTCA, that's a genotype. Phenotype is the physical expression of the genes. So if the genotype is GTCA, the phenotype, the expression of that can be like a big nose or brown hair or a certain height or a certain shoe size, right? Those are the phenotypes, the physical expressions of it. So when we're looking at genotype versus phenotype, this gives us a lot of insight into different conditions that people develop, especially spinal conditions like what we mentioned, migraines, back pain, common things like that. So what I hear a lot, the misconception that I hear a lot is people say, yeah, everybody in my family has bad backs. I get my bad back from my mom's side or my dad's side or migraines run in my family, things like that. I hear that all the time. And it's just not true that it's passed down or inherited. What is inherited is the genotype and the phenotype, right? So the genetic code is passed down and then there's a physical expression of that code. So you see families that they're all really tall or they all have big noses or they all have brown eyes, right? These are all phenotypes that are passed down. But what people don't realize is that this also implies to the internal structures of the body as well. So the structure of the spine, the shape of the spine, the shape of the bones in the spine, the shape of the discs in the spine, the attachment points of muscles and ligaments in the spine are also a phenotype that are passed down or inherited, which means in certain families where this phenotype and genotype are passed down, there's certain inherited weaknesses and strengths in the structure of their body. Just like every chain has one link that's the weakest link. Somewhere in your body is the weakest point in your body. And a lot of times that's similar in families, but it never actually develops a problem unless there's trauma to that weak point. So if you think of like a chain, right, there's one weak link. If you use that chain to like pull a car out of a ditch and you never exceed the limits of that weakest link, then it doesn't matter that that link is the weakest, right? It still holds up and everything's perfectly fine. But if you exceed the limits of that weak link, that's when you run into problems. So same thing with your spine. If you have a certain phenotype with a certain weak point, but you never exceed the limits of that weak point, it just doesn't matter. You're perfectly fine. But like, let's say you have a weak point in the neck and then you get in a car crash. Chances are that's going to be enough to cross that threshold of causing damage to that weak point. So you're going to be more susceptible in some areas than others where somebody with a certain weak point in their phenotype is going to be impacted by something that somebody else that doesn't have that weak point wouldn't be affected by. So in other words, the bad back or the migraines or all these things, you didn't really inherit them from your parents. 
but you are more likely to develop those because of what you did inherit. Yeah, you're more susceptible to it. So if it's a weak point, then you have more of a chance of developing a problem with some type of a trauma than somebody else. Yeah. Yeah. So why this is important to me in particular is because these conditions that develop low back pain, migraines are from an injury, which means that if you can fix that and it can heal, that person can get better as opposed to what most people think, which is where they think, oh, like I just got my bad back from my dad. Everybody has a bad back in my family. Then it's hopeless. You can't not inherit the genes that you have, right? You can't not have that father that passed down that gene to you. So the question that I like to ask people is, do you think that there's a bad back gene? And everybody can pretty much assume like, no, there's no bad back gene or there's no migraine gene that's passed down, right? So that means that it's something else that's causing those, which if it's damaged to the spine, it's fixable. And that's the hope. Exactly. Perfect. So from a chiropractic perspective, what really is it that causes migraines? I mean, we talk a lot about migraines and people, a lot of them are just like you said, hopeless. Many of them assume that, well, I just get migraines and every so often I'll get a migraine and sometimes it gets worse and sometimes it gets better. I've seen neurologists, I've seen this, I take this, I take that. But from a chiropractic, especially from a structural chiropractic point of view, what causes these migraines? Yeah. So migraines a lot of times are multifactorial, right? So they have multiple contributing factors, not just this structural shift of the head and neck. Okay. That's part of it. What I like to do when I explain migraines to people is I don't like to give too specific of tidbits or hints to try because everybody's different, you know? So what I do is try to explain the concepts of how this actually all works. Once you understand how this works, then you know what to pursue in order to try to fix your migraine, right? So conceptually, migraines are multi-causal, which means that there's multiple different contributing factors. And the important thing with migraines is this idea of a threshold. So I'm going to just throw out some arbitrary numbers just for the sake of example. But let's say in order to get a migraine, you have to cross 100. Okay. And let's say that two of the contributing factors for you are weather changes and food sensitivity. Let's say that weather changes bump you up from zero to 50. And then food sensitivity bumps you up another 20. Then you're at 70. So you haven't crossed that threshold. So you're not going to get a migraine. But then let's say you have a stressful day at work and it bumps you up another 30. Suddenly you cross that threshold and you get a migraine. What people tend to do is they say, oh, I get migraines because of my stress at work. But no, that's just like the last 30%, right? That's the minority of it. So what I do is I like to walk people through the major contributing factors of migraines. And then you can kind of self-assess and just kind of, you know, see well, what do I think are the major contributing factors for me? The interesting part about this is you don't have to take care of all of the contributing factors, just the major ones, because you just have to stay below that threshold. That's all. So the major contributing factors, I have categorized according to four categories, basically. It kind of makes it easier to understand. The first category is outside factors. Second category is psychosomatic. Third category is physiological. And the fourth category is structural issues. Okay. So we can walk through each of these four if you want. Sure. Yeah. So the first one, outside factors, 
those are things like environmental allergies, like seasonal allergies, that type of stuff, the irritants, things like weather, like a lot of people that get migraines are sensitive to like barometric changes, that type of stuff, or like photosensitivity, like if the light gets in your eyes, things like that, right? So those are outside factors that are just coming at you. Okay. And those are changeable to some degree. Like you can move. I've had patients that move from like Alaska to different other areas of the country in order to deal with the outside factors that are causing migraines. Okay. Second category is psychosomatic. So that's where we talk about like stress at work or anxiety. A lot of people will have emotional highs and lows that have an impact on their body. So what we're talking about basically is a mental state that's causing a physical effect. Okay. Those come and go a lot of times. Normally people aren't constantly stressed out. Normally there's ups and downs. So then the migraines kind of come and go if that's the last little key factor. And a lot of the times from what you've said, it is those factors that actually push someone over the threshold. And that's why we tend to associate migraines with the stressful events, the death of a relative, the bad times at work, the you know problems with a son or something along those lines, correct? Yeah, exactly, exactly. So then the third issue is physiological influences. Physiology is just like your body chemistry. So we're talking about things like if you don't get enough sleep and your body is physically fatigued, Or if women are on their period and things are changing that time of the month, a lot of times that'll have an impact or just hormone issues in general, men and women, different hormone levels that are spiking or decreased or chronically high or low or things like that or food sensitivities, right? If you eat something and then your body has some type of an adverse reaction to it, but it's not like an all out allergic reaction. It's just sort of a subclinical like irritant to your body. Okay. So these different things all sort of add up. The fourth thing is structural issues. Okay. So first thing was outside factors. Second thing, psychosomatic. Third thing, physiological. The last thing is structural issues. Structural issues are what I fix. So this is one of the four factors. Okay. So when people come to see me, For their migraines, the first thing I have to do is determine, do they have a structural shift? Okay, is their head and neck shifted out of place? And then if I find that posture pattern, like what we talked about before, where everything is squeezed down to one side, then yeah, their head and neck is shifted out of place, putting pressure on the brainstem, that's going to contribute to migraines. Okay, so if I find that, that's when I say, okay, second step, do I think that this structural shift and this brainstem pressure are actually one of the major contributing factors for this person, right? And if I do, we'll go ahead and take those x-rays and get it corrected, see their body straighten up, and then monitor and make sure it stays there, okay? So a few things, how the structural shift contributes to migraines. First, we talked about brainstem pressure. So the brainstem is the part that dips down into the first couple bones in the neck. So if the head and neck are shifted out of place, it can put pressure on the brainstem. So obviously, neurologically, that's going to have an impact. People can feel that. But then also, the other two things involved is one, blood flow up into the head is impeded. There's the vertebral artery. It goes up through the bones of the neck and then up into the head. supplies the brain with blood, oxygen, nutrients, all that. So when you have the head and neck shifted out of place, it can actually narrow the opening that the vertebral artery goes through and can actually impact blood flow up into the head. Okay. And migraines are notoriously part vascular, part neurological. So this is just another piece of the puzzle, right? And then the third thing with how a structural shift impacts migraines is 
CSF drainage back out of the head is blocked as well. So CSF, cerebrospinal fluid, it's the fluid that your brain sits in, right? And that fluid flows back and forth in your spine and in your skull and actually circulates about six times a day. Okay, so much slower than your blood. Your blood circulates hundreds of times a day, right? So if that CSF can't flow back and forth between your spine and your brain as well, or your skull, then it can actually build up pressure inside your skull and create what's called normal pressure hydrocephalus, which is as that CSF doesn't drain out of the skull, it can actually compress the brain inward. You see this in babies. It's called, the common word is waterhead or hydrocephalus. But the baby's skull swells out if this happens because the skull isn't fused. But in adults, the skull is fused, so it crushes the brain inward. So all of these things can happen from a structural shift. So when we fix it, I typically see migraines improve dramatically simply because like, okay, so back to the numbers, right? If somebody needs to cross a hundred to get a migraine and they have brainstem pressure, that can automatically bump them up to 70, let's say. Then it doesn't take much, you know, they're going to cross that threshold pretty frequently with other things. So if there's any change in the weather or any stress at work, or if they're tired, they're going to start getting migraines all the time. So I don't fix all those other things. There's the three other categories that I don't fix. But what I do is I can bump them down from 70 to zero. Then that way they can be impacted by those other things and not get a migraine. Or from 100 to 30. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Exactly, exactly, yeah. That's actually quite interesting because when you think about a shift like you just described it and it has that mechanical component in a way, it is a matter of going in there and just realigning it or just, you know, getting rid of that shift and that allows everything else to flow because just, you know, before talking to you, my belief is that migraines are mostly vascular. Either, you know, you have a lot of blood flow, a lot of blood volume inside the skull. Same thing with cerebrospinal fluid. And what both of those things do is that they will compress the brain. So when it's not able to flow out, whether it is blood or the cerebrospinal fluid or both, then that does make a lot of sense that you're going to be having those migraines. And just by resetting that shift, then you can get almost immediate relief. Is it pretty quick, I'm guessing? So it depends on the person. If somebody has a structural shift for a long period of time, let's say like decades, and they don't get it fixed, that can start to cause nerve damage. So in that case, when we correct it, they're going to get somewhat better right away but not all the way better right away. And as those nerves heal, they'll slowly get better and better over the next year. Okay. I saw an 11-year-old girl with migraines the other day, and she's been under care for two weeks now, and she would have migraines on average about every other day. Okay, so pretty severe. So she's been under care for about two weeks now and hasn't had a migraine. That's because she's so young, it hasn't caused a lot of damage to the nerves. Okay. But then I've also had other people I don't know if you're familiar with the migraine disability index. It's the Midas scale. It's one of the measurements we use. Zero means no migraines. 21 is severe migraines. That's as high as the scale goes. This lady that I saw was at 220. Okay, so she was off the charts, off the charts. 10 times off the charts. Yeah, yeah, like completely unable to function, right? Just in her bed all day, couldn't take care of her kids, nothing. She's been under care for about eight months now. And she's down to severe, (laughs) which for her is life-changing, right? Yeah, exactly. She's back to working a job again, taking care of her kids, all this stuff. But she's been under care for a while and she's been holding her correction really well, but it just takes a long time for that stuff to heal. 
So it's kind of all over the board, depending on how much damage has been done. Yeah, of course, because now that you mentioned that, if somebody's had a structural shift for X amount of years and sometimes decades, what's going to happen is that not only are you going to have that shift, but also your muscles, your tendons, your ligaments, they're all going to tighten up in a certain pattern in a certain way. So it's not just about realigning the skeleton per se. You need to recover the strand on the one side and weaken the other one or compensate them so that you can get right back into balance, correct? Yeah. Yeah. So the way that that works is nerves control muscles, right? A muscle doesn't contract or relax unless a nerve specifically tells it to. So when you're looking at somebody's posture pattern, one side of the body is squeezed down from that pressure on the brainstem. It's a neurological thing that's impacting the muscle tone. That's like the verbiage that we use. So then when you take the pressure off the brainstem and the nerves are working properly, the muscles start working properly. Now, sometimes there's still some extra spasm or contracture left over when the body straightens up and we take care of that too. I mean, that's part of the care plan that we put people under is taking care of what we call collateral issues, like what you were talking about. So that's the verbiage that we use is collateral issues. Like if somebody's hips have been crooked for a long time and we get them straightened up, sometimes their muscles just have a hard time dealing with that. And so they go into spasm. So we have to fix that then, which is fine. You know, we cross that bridge and we get there. Now, we've been talking a lot about migraines, and I think it's a very important topic because they're getting more and more common. And it's something I really didn't know what you just shared with us about all those different factors playing a role and how it is the combination of them all that kind of like pushes you over the edge. And it's not just isolated ones. But let's also talk about back pain. Last I heard, back pain was the number one cause of lost workdays in America. Is this still accurate? It's a huge, huge epidemic. I think it's estimated like one in three or one out of four adults have back pain. And the causes for that are all over the board. I mean, there's not like one specific cause and one specific fix for back pain because it can be caused by all kinds of stuff. Anything from kidney issues to malnutrition to a structural shift like what I fix. I mean, there's so many things, pulled muscles, disc bulges, there's all kinds of stuff. So yeah. A couple of things that we talk a lot about here, and I'm assuming that between the excess weight that the average person carries, the sedentary lifestyles that we're seeing a lot, and bad postures, especially at work, these are probably some of the most important contributors. But is there something else I'm missing here? Well, what I see in practice is not necessarily that those are causal, but those are exacerbating. With people that come into my office who have a structural shift, what I see is that that structural shift puts a lot of strain on their body, obviously, especially on the low back and on the hips. So then when they slouch at work or sit for long periods of time, it just makes it hurt that much worse. So there's no specific major trauma with sitting. It's more so that if you're structure of your body is already off and then you put it in a position that is unhealthy, it makes it break down faster. But if you have like somebody like me who's in alignment, I had a structural shift from football, okay, contact sports, and I got hit in the head a bunch of times, you know, and obviously that can do damage. So for me, when I slouch for a long period of time, my back will get achy too. But then when I stand back up again, it goes away. So with people who are stuck in this posture pattern from a structural shift, then that pain just doesn't go away. 
it's an additional irritant. So what people will notice is after we fix it and their body's straightened up and they're nice and stable, then they can slouch all day long and be achy, but then the next day they're perfectly fine again. I see. Yeah, because I mean, you probably have a different thought about this as a chiropractor, but for me, sitting down is something that kills me. I was just having this conversation with my wife. We recently moved to Spain a couple of months ago and I'm renting a place here in a co-working space. I've got my own private office, but it comes furnished. And I've had for the last few years, I've always had a stand-up desk and that works wonders for me. But now that I'm sitting down four or five hours at a time, I've actually set a timer on my watch so that I'm standing up every 15, 20 minutes, at least for a stretch, because it does start affecting me in more ways than one. And I'm not going to say that it's specifically back pain or that I'm in pain, but I do lose focus. I do start getting you know, distracted. I do start, I mean, it's crazy. Yeah. You've heard the phrase that sitting is the new smoking. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Totally. And it's crazy. I think probably 10 years from now, we're going to look back on the office spaces that we've had designed for the last 50 years. And we're just going to be like, what were we thinking? What were we thinking? Exactly. (laughs) Between that and the fluorescent lights and all those different things, it's crazy what we're doing to our biology. But what I was going to say is that especially when you start thinking about the average person who spends an hour and a half in a car to get to work, and then they sit for five or six hours at a time, and then they get back in their car for another hour, even if it's not a long commute, and let's say it's 40 minutes or 45 minutes, and that's another 40 minutes before they get back home and they sit down and watch TV. It's crazy because here in Europe, everyone walks everywhere. So although while they're at work and then they go out and they go walking for lunch and they and they walk, they walk 15, 20 blocks just to go to the bus stop or just to go to lunch. But when we were in America and, and in California last year, and even in Mexico, people don't walk. You take the car everywhere and then you go and you sit down. So I'm sure that that's a big, big, big contributor to everything that we're seeing. Now, there's something that I wanted to ask you now that we started talking about this, because it's something that, for instance, I didn't know. I didn't know about this whole structural chiropractic and the difference between the shift that you just described to us. So what would be the warning signs? What would be the red flags? that someone can start developing? Because obviously, you know, you get a car crash, it's obvious you need to go, you know, see a professional. But other than that, what are the signs that someone should say, you know what, maybe I should look for a NUCA specialist instead of just going to a chiropractor? Yeah. So I like the way that you asked that because you use the word signs instead of symptoms. So great job on that. <laughs> so when the head and neck get shifted out of place and it's putting pressure on the brainstem, it can impact all kinds of things. So there's not one set of symptoms that I would say go see a NUCA doctor for. What I typically tell people that ask me about it is I say, if you've ever been told you have a short leg, then that's one of the signs. Okay. Another thing is what I tell people to do is stand in front of your bathroom mirror, close your eyes, turn your head left, right, and then back to where it feels straight, and then open your eyes and look at the bottom of your earlobes. And if they look perfectly level, you're probably okay. If one looks a little bit lower than the other, that's an indication that your head is tilted one way or the other, okay? Another thing to look for when you do that is you can actually look at your neck and see if your neck looks like it's leaning to one side or the other. Most people just never notice it until they look at it. And then they look at it and all of a sudden they're like, oh my gosh, there it is. You cannot unsee it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that's probably the easiest thing is just in your bathroom mirror, take a look and see what you see. And if everything looks good to you, you're probably okay. 
What about the shoulders as well? Because you will see that difference between you know how one shoulder goes or one of them is lower than the other. Is this also kind of like a telltale sign or not really? Shoulders are less reliable. There's too much variation because you have that diarthrodial joint, right? So you have the humerus in the glenoid fossa and it has a major range of motion. So if there's any positioning off with the shoulder blade where that glenoid fossa is housed or the humerus, which is another major part of the shoulder, then that can actually throw off the shoulders. It's a shoulder issue then. There's just too much going on there. And then you throw in the collarbone, you know, who knows what's going on with that. So I look at the shoulders and I definitely measure the shoulders and I see changes in the shoulders, but I don't necessarily rely on the shoulders for like the data to actually correct it or to see if it's actually corrected. Also, handedness plays a role too because different people have more muscle tone on one side of the body than the other, right? So that's going to play an impact. Right-handed people, typically their right shoulder is a little bit lower just simply because there's more muscle mass and so it gets pulled down a little bit more. Gotcha, gotcha. Now, if someone has never been to the chiropractor, which I'm sure you still get people like that sometimes, once again, almost the same question. What would be the kind of reason that if someone is experiencing those signs, they should go see a chiropractor? instead of just taking, you know, painkillers or all those things that people will do instead of trying to go see a professional. Yeah. So one of the questions that I ask people during the consultation in my office has to do with if their goal is to get pain-free or if their goal is to pursue healing. And there's a major difference in mindset with people between the two. So that's one of the things that we talk about because if their goal is to simply be pain-free, there are very fast, cheap ways to get pain-free, right? You can just take pain medications and you'll be pain-free, right? If their goal is to pursue healing though, that's the better route to gain permanency in being pain-free, right? If we can fix the reason why you're feeling the pain, then not only does the pain go away, but then also your whole body is better off anyway, right? So that's one distinction that I look for if they want to be pain-free, versus if they want healing. And one of the byproducts of healing is being pain-free. I see. Now, this is one thing also that I ask our guests here at the Hyota Health, which I'm going to ask you obviously as well. And the question is, what are your top two or three actionable? And that's the key word here. So what are your top two or three actionable pieces of advice that you can give our listeners for spinal health? Okay. So as far as spinal health, just get checked. I mean, there's no harm in getting checked, right? That's the easiest thing to do. I have plenty of people who just want to get checked. And there are plenty of people that I say, no, you don't have a structural shift. You're actually good to go. And I send them away. And those people sometimes will leave reviews on my Facebook page saying, hey, he checked me out and said I didn't need a correction. This is cool. But then also, I think people need to understand this last basic concept. There's three main areas of health and you have to have all three taken care of in order to gain like a full healthy experience on earth, right? So there's as far as physically, right? There's non-physical health as well, but I don't deal with that at all. So as far as physical health goes, there's structural, functional, and biochemical, which we already talked about these a little bit with migraines. Okay. So structural health, that's what I do. If your body isn't structurally stable, just like a building, if the foundation shifts, the building's going to break down fast, right? So if the structure of your body isn't in the right position, your body's going to break down faster than it should. Functional, that has to do with exercise, right? So you got to stay moving, you got to stay healthy, you got to, like you're talking about, take breaks from sitting down and get up and move around a little bit. And then the third is biochemical, which is diet, 
hydration, that type of stuff, supplements, all that. So if you can get those three areas of physical health all properly taken care of, you're going to be set. Perfect. Perfect. It's really interesting how you mentioned, well, obviously nutrition is something that we touch upon a lot here in this show, how it is the basis for everything. I tend to say that, well, because it is true that the main source of inflammation in our lives is what we put in our mouths because we're doing that constantly, right? But there's another thing that you mentioned, which is hydration. Why is hydration so important if you can just like really quick let our listeners know? And I always tell them, you know, for cellular health and all those things. But when you're talking about joints and muscles and tendons and all this structural, physical balance that you mentioned, why is hydration so important in this realm? So as far as structural health in particular, hydration is important simply because the older you get, the less elastic you get. We touch on this a little bit, but babies have a lot of elasticity, right? I say that it might be a little bit weird, but if you drop a baby, the baby bounces. Whereas if you drop an old person, they break, right? There's a difference there, right? So it does sound a little bit weird. (laughs) I don't normally (laughs) drop babies. So that elasticity to some degree is dependent on chronic hydration or dehydration, right? If you can keep your body hydrated, you stay elastic longer, which means your body is more durable longer. So then that means less sprains, less strains, less bone breaks, all that type of stuff, because your muscles and ligaments are more supple. They're more elastic, bendy. The actual term for that is that they have more pliability. Perfect. Yeah. I I always emphasize the importance of hydrating all throughout the day and even especially more so when people start working out. You know, when we're talking about a 50 year old who's just getting back in track and decided that they want to take control of their lives and they want to treat their body well and they start exercising and they think they can just wake up in the morning and go out and start exercising like that. And it's like, no, man, you need to hydrate. You need to do all those things. Not only because you're going to get thirsty, but for cellular health. And you just share it with us also to make sure that you've got better flexibility. It's going to prevent injuries. It's going to do all those things, right? So Jason, this has been an incredible conversation so far. And I want to acknowledge you for taking the time to come on the show first and for helping me in this quest to empower the everyday person with basically with the tools, the strategies that they need to live longer, they need to live healthier lives. And I'm very, very grateful that you've decided to do that for us. So thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate being on here. And I'm glad that we can kind of work together to help get more people better. It's the goal, right? Well, that's the whole point, right? Yep. And now before we wrap things up here, though, I know that you recently started your own podcast. So tell us about it. What is it about and where can people find it and subscribe? Yes, sir. So it's called The Shift. And that's kind of a play on what I do as far as a structural shift, plus like a mindset shift. What I talk about on that is misconceptions. So I focus specifically on the misconceptions, trying to correct it, right? So I'm going after understanding more so than practical advice. So people can take that understanding and make practical changes themselves, trying to empower people to understand things instead of just like going with whatever pop culture is telling them to do in the moment. You know, I don't have it published yet. I have about a dozen episodes completed, but they're just in the vault right now, just waiting to see the light of day, but they'll be coming out within the next month. So. Um, any major platform. Oh, perfect. So probably by the time you are all listening to this episode, Jason's show will be out. So that's called The Shift, correct? Or that's, that's the what shift. the name is going to be? Yeah. Perfect. So make sure you go look it up, subscribe. And speaking about subscribing, let me just say that 
when you're on this side of the microphone, having people subscribe and sending us a review or a question about an episode, it really does go a long way. And it is basically the only way that we have of knowing that there's someone actually listening and hopefully benefiting from the time that we put into this. So if you have liked this conversation, take a moment and like I said, search for Doctors Legal's The Shift Podcast and subscribe. It should be out. And if not, it probably will be out in a couple of days after this episode goes. Yeah. Yeah. And feel free to check me out at my website, structuralspinalcare.com. And my Facebook page, you can just look me up, Structural Spinal Care. The logo is red and black. So you'll see that. Perfect. And for all of our listeners, you know that all of those links are going to be in the episode description down below and in our complete show notes. So as I said earlier, I've really, really enjoyed this episode. I hope you have too, Jason. Oh yeah. For great. everyone else, there you go. So Everyone else, thank you once again for tuning in. You have been listening to Dr. E and Dr. Jason Slagel. As always, if you have questions about what we discussed in this episode, make sure to use the link in this episode description and ask them. Thank you for listening to Dr. E's Highway to Health show, helping you learn the science of living ageless. Did you enjoy the show? Please like, share, and subscribe where you listen to podcasts. Dr. E wants to hear from you. Go to dre.show. Again, that's dre.show. Until next time, this is Dr. E's Highway to Health, helping you live ageless. So there you have it. I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I enjoyed recording it and learning about Nuka Structural Chiropractic. Remember that you can find the links to everything we discussed in this episode by visiting our page at dre.show. What was your favorite takeaway? Make sure to tag me on Instagram at drernestomd and let me know. Before we say goodbye, let me quickly remind you once again about our Vault of Goodies. Our Highway to Health Vault of Goodies is a free resource where you can find goodies related to pretty much every episode, as well as some exclusive episodes which have not been released here and many other things. Just head on over to dre.show forward slash goodies and request your free access. But that's it for today. I hope you enjoyed this episode. You've been listening to Dr. Slagle and Dr. E talk about Nuka Structural Chiropractic. Thank you for tuning in. I'll see you here next week. And remember, you are on the highway to health and I'm your guide to get you there.